23rd chapter of the Gospel of Luke has a marvelous record of the crucifixion of Jesus for this pre-Easter message on the cross. And I want to just read verses 33 and 46. So if you'll turn to that gospel, the third gospel, to chapter 23, I'll read verses 33 and 46. And when they came to the place called the skull, there they crucified him and the criminals, on the, one on the right and the other on the left. And Jesus, crying out with a loud voice, said, Father, into thy hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. He's dying now. For six hours he hung in awful agony upon a cross, and now he's dying. And I suppose that those who loved him that stood around to watch the execution must have prayed a thousand times, O God, let him die. O Lord, take him out of his suffering. For sometimes death can be welcomed as a friend. There's a much-traveled story that happened to R.G. Lee, the illustrious pastor of the Bellevue Baptist Church in Memphis, Tennessee. He and several of his friends made a trip to, to Old Jerusalem at Easter time. And on Easter morning, they were to go to the Garden of the Tombs at sunrise to participate in a great service. It was a sleepless night the night before. They were all excited and thrilled, and so none of them slept. And they were all up earlier than the appointed hour, way before dawn, and they were just waiting for sunrise. And Abdul, the Muslim guide, was with them, and he said to Dr. Lee, Have you ever been here before? And he said, Yes, Abdul, I was here 2,000 years ago. And Abdul, not understanding, thought that Dr. Lee was making a joke, and he said, Oh, Dr. Lee, you're not that old. And in tender seriousness he said, Abdul, there is no time with God. Two thousand years ago I stood out on this hill called Calvary, and God took my sin and placed it on His sinless Son, and He died there for me. Yes, Abdul, I was here two thousand years ago, and so were you. And so I want us to go back and revisit Calvary. Calvary revisited and I want us to gather this morning with that throng of people who came to watch the death of God. I want us to gather again with those who stood there the day Jesus died and see that pale brow, those, that livid face, those sinking eyes, that naked body starkly white against the darkening sky and those pale, quivering lips, and he cried, Father, into thy hands I commit my spirit, and he died. Those hands that had been placed with healing upon the lepers and with cooling upon fevered brows were icy. And those feet that walked on the waters were helpless. 
And that mouth that spake as never man spake was silent. And those eyes that looked with compassion upon the multitudes were glazed. And that heart that beat only in love is still and he's dead. And even though there's violence everywhere, he died peacefully. This last utterance was not from despair, but hope. It was not from weakness, but strength. It was not from bewilderment, but with con- from contentment. It was not the utterance, the despairing cry of a helpless martyr, nor was it the sigh of relief that the suffering had reached its termination, nor was it the last gasp of a, of a dying life, an aged life. It was the shout of triumph and victory. It was the breathing out of one's life. It was the statement of triumph by one who had absolute contentment in death. Have you ever wondered what it's going to be like when you come to that hour? I used to not think a lot about death until I started getting a few more of these gray hairs on my head. My daughter looked at me yesterday and said, Daddy, your head's turning. Uh, It is, (laughs) white. I used to not think a lot about death, but I've started to think some about it. Have you ever wondered what it will be like when you die? Well, I think that we can learn some things about death from this man who died. I think we can learn that the Father attends the death of His children. Jesus said this in His earthly ministry. He said that not a sparrow falls to the ground without the Father. He meant that God attends the death of every little bird. And so He looked down from the cross and He saw His mother and in tender compassion He committed her to the care of His friend. And He looked up from the cross In absolute confidence, he saw the Father and he committed himself to his care. Father. How many times that word was on the lips of our Lord. It was his first recorded utterance, Wist thee not that I must be about my Father's business. The fatherhood of God is the hub of the Sermon on the Mount. It's found there 17 times. In his last earthly discourse to his disciples in John 14 through 16, the word Father is found no less than 45 times. And in the high priestly prayer in John 17, he utters the word Father six more times. And now ere he dies, he calls him Father again. And so Jesus gave us a new idea of God. He gave us a new word for Him. He gave us a new concept of His nature. He took took the stammering tongue of man and taught Him to say that marvelous word, Father. I don't want us to ever forget it. Never a sermon, never a prayer without it, Father. Aristotle called God the unmoved mover. Spencer called Him the eternal energy. Thomas Huxley called Him the one unknown absolute, the fundamental essence. The man in the hospital room last week called him the boss man upstairs, but Jesus called him Father. What a difference that makes in the dying hour. Someone told the story of a man who sought desperately to know how to walk with God and fellowship with Him. He didn't feel that his prayers were really adequate or reaching God. Someone suggested a little technique. He learned it. 
Every time he went to pray, he just pulled up a chair in front of him, knelt before the chair and put his hand in the chair like he was holding the hand of the Father. That's the way he learned to walk with God. That's the way he learned to talk to God. It came time for him to die. He was in the hospital bed for a long period of time. His daughter stayed with him day and night until one night she was absolutely exhausted, so she went home for some rest. While she was away, he slipped away to God. When she went back, she asked the nurse, How did he die? She said, Oh, he, was, he died peacefully. But he made a strange request in his last moment. He asked that I bring a chair and pull it up beside the bed. And while I was out of the room, he died. And when I came back, I found his hand resting on the chair. Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. He attends the death of his children. And thus he protects them. There is protection in the hollow of his hand. There is safety there. There is protection there. I think the key word of this utterance might be the word thy. Strange, isn't it? Into thy hands underline because it brings into sharp contrast the hands of God and the hands of men. For twelve hours he had been in the hands of evil men. He had forewarned his disciples of that. He said, the Son of Man will be betrayed into the hands of men and they shall crucify him. He said it again in the Garden of Gethsemane when Judas came with his colleagues, his, his henchmen. He said, the hour has come and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of men. On resurrection morning, the angel reminded the disciples that Jesus was crucified, as he said, by the hands of men. He delivered himself into the hands of sinful men and how they treated him is well known. They gave full vent to the hatred of the carnal heart for God. But now he commits his spirit into the hand of God where there is no harm. In the hollow of his hand is safety and security. Jesus said, My Father is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. Just as no harm could come to Noah when the hand of Jehovah had secured the ark, so nothing can touch the hand, nothing can touch the spirit of the saint that's grasped by the hand of omnipotence. There's security there. And there's strength there. It is the strength that Stephen the first martyr found when stones came raining down upon him. Strength to pray for his enemies in death. And to taking the spirit of Jesus up himself, he prayed, lay not this sin to their charge. Don't charge this to their account. Strength to see what no one else saw while he was being stoned. And he looked into heaven and saw the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. And capturing the Spirit of Jesus again, he cried, Lord, receive my Spirit. And he must have seen the hand of the Lord reach out for him. And they came to kill John Huss. And they took his hat off and they placed on his head a paper crown in mockery. John Huss cried, O oh Lord, if you could wear a crown of thorns for me, I'll surely wear this paper, paper crown for thee. And they took him out and burned him at the stake. And the historian said that the singing of John Huss was so, it was so loud and triumphant that you couldn't hear the crackling of the flames. And the last word they heard him say was, Father, 
And Adoniram Judson died at sea and was buried there. And one of these days, the body of that great missionary will be given up by that watery grave when the Lord returns. And Adoniram Judson said on his deathbed, I go to heaven with the joy of a boy bouncing away from school. I feel so strong in the Lord. There is strength there. The hollow of his hand is a place of serenity. This prayer that Jesus uttered up to God, Father, into thy hand I commit my spirit, is a part of Psalm 31. It is, a what, every, it is what every Hebrew mother, devout Jewish mother, taught her children. It was a part of every Jewish child's bedtime ritual. It was like praying, now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. My father didn't pray in public. He was kind of shy about that, but he prayed with me as a small lad, as a boy. And I remember in our little home in, in West Texas, many times I would kneel by the bed and he would kneel beside me. I'd say my prayer, now I lay me down to sleep. I learned that first before I went beyond that. With the serenity of a little boy praying his goodnight prayer with his father beside him, he uttered out this cry, into thy hand I commit my spirit. What serenity. Contrast greatly with Voltaire, the great French infidel, who committed that he would himself abolish Christianity and said with boast, by my single hand I shall destroy what it took a divine and twelve disciples a lifetime to erect. But French infidel Voltaire died and Christianity lived on. And it was said that years after his death, by his own printing press, they were cranking out New Testaments. And when he came to die, he said, I feel abandoned by God and man. And to his doctor, she said, I'll give half my wealth for six months to live, and then I'll go to hell, and you'll go with me. But when Suzanne Wesley, the mother of John Wesley, West, Charles Wesley, when she died, she said, when I depart from this place, let there begin songs of praise. It was a place of serenity. It was a place, it is a place of sovereignty. The Lord Jesus was sovereign in life. And He with His words spoke and winds and waves hushed. And from His presence evil spirits fled. And before His presence, disease bowed. And to His presence, death surrendered. He was sovereign in life. And He was sovereign in death. He, didn't, he laid down His life. It wasn't taken from Him. He said while He was alive, No man takes my life from me. I lay it down of myself. This expression, Father, into thy hands I commit my spirit, is a sovereign expression of his power of control. Life would not fail until he gave its del his deliberate consent, and death would not act until he willed it. And there are three words that the gospel uses to describe that. Matthew says, and he yielded up his spirit. And it's a word that means that he dismissed it like a king dis dismissing his servant. All right, now you can go. 
Mark and Luke say that he gave up his spirit and breathed out his last. And it's a word that means that he gave up his life like exhaling his breath. Death was as simple as breathing a breath. And John uses a word that means that he discharged his spirit, which means that he was in absolute control of it, and he let it go, he discharged it. And every one of these words suggests that Jesus died to redeem humanity. He gave his life, he laid it down for sinful man. His death was not an accident or the result of the thinking of any person or group. He sovereignty laid down his life. That's what that word means. There's one other thing we can learn about this death. And that is that the Father waits those who are separated from life. Hear me now. The Father waits those who are separated from this earth. After World War II, the soldiers came home to France and they put choirs at the Arc, the Arche de Triomphe, the Arc of Triumph. They put choirs there. And here came these soldiers down the street in great parade. Some of them were bandaged. Some of them had lost their eyes. Some had lost their limbs. Some had sleeveless arms or armless sleeves or whatever. And as they came marching down the street to the Arch of Triumph, the choir began to chant, What right do you have to enter the Arch of Triumph? And the, shoulder, the soldiers shouted, We have been to Verdon. We have been to Verdon. And the choir would sing, Well, come on in, come on in. And I think he must have stood one day after this day at the gates of heaven. And the choir began to say, the angels begin to say, what right do you have to come here? And Jesus said, I have been to Calvary. And the angels said, well, come on in. Enter the gates. Oh, lift up your gates. Heads, oh, ye gates. And be ye lifted up, you everlasting doors, that the King of glory may come in. And the grand procession began. Something like that happened in a little town in the south. A young hero from the town came home from war. And so they had a grand parade for their hero. They did it upright when Johnny came home. The Ford dealer in town gave a convertible for him to ride in. The high school band was there, and they welcomed Johnny home. Down Main Street of the little southern town went the procession, and everybody was cheering, Hey, Johnny, welcome home. And Johnny returned their, their salute, but he had eyes for another. And the procession made its way down Main Street to the end of it and turned down a little side road, came to the front of a little white frame house. There sitting on the front porch was an old white-haired daddy. He saw for the first time those stubs that were there. Johnny got out of the convertible and went up 
to the porch where his daddy clasped those stubs in his hands and drew them to his breast and said, Son, I'm so proud of you. It might have been like that when he started down those streets of gold to the throne room. And there the Father embraced him thrice and said, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Welcome home, Son. The Father waits those who are separated from this life. He awaits you. This and I'm through. John Todd was born in Rutland, Vermont in the early 1800s to a large family of several brothers and sisters. Shortly after his birth, they moved to the village of Killingsworth. When John was five, his mother and father died, and he was left alone without parents. His relatives wanted, wondered how we could parcel these kids out to, to, the, to, the, to the family, and they started doing that. And a loving aunt Gracious, loving aunt took John. So here was this little boy, six years old, waiting one night for the horse to come that bore the slave that this loving aunt had sent for him, lonely and bewildered and heartbroken. And here came the slave into the yard in the, on the horse, reached down, picked Johnny up and hoisted him on the back and they rode out into the night and this little boy, bewildered, scared, alone, hanging on to the slave. Charles Allen picks up the conversation. Would you listen to it? Will she be there when we get there? Oh yeah, she'll be there waiting up for you. Will I like living with her? My son, you fall into good hands. Will she love me? Ah, she has a big heart. Will I have my own room? Will she let me keep a puppy? She's got everything all set, son. I think she has some surprises for you, John. Do you think she'll go to bed before we get there? Oh, no, he said. She'll sure wait up for you, son. When we get out of these woods, you'll see her candle shining in the window. Sure enough, when they got out in the clearing, there was this candle in the window. And there stood this dear woman who reached down and lifted up that tired, bewildered lad, hugged him tightly, kissed him, and said, Welcome home, John. Inside there was a big fire burning in the hearth, hot supper on the stove. He ate a little, then, he, then she took him to his new room, sat down on the side of the bed till he fell asleep. John Todd grew up to be a great preacher. 
But it was there in that little home that he grew up and it was always a place of enchantment for him. He could never get over the fact, the awesome fact, that there was a replacement. That there was a place for him, someone waiting for him. He left a house of death and she'd given him a second home. Years later, long after he'd moved away, she wrote him with quivering hand, quivering hand of an old woman telling him that death was near and her faith was falling low and she was wondering what was to become of her. And this is what he wrote back. My dear aunt, years ago when I was a boy I left a house of death not knowing where I was to go, whether anyone cared, whether it was the end of me the ride was long, but the slave encouraged me. Finally, he pointed out the candle to me. And there you were in the yard, there you stood, embracing me, taking me by the hand into my room that you'd made up. After all these years, I still can't believe it, how you did all that for me. I was, I was expected, I felt safe in that room, so welcome, it was my room. Now it's your turn to go. And as one who has tried it out, I'm writing to let you know someone is waiting up. Your room is all ready. The light is on. The door is open. You will be riding into the yard. Don't worry, Auntie. You are expected. I know. I once saw God standing in your doorway a long time ago. And He waits, awaits those who are separated from this life. It's all because one day in darkness He died. And that place is the place of new agreement. He said, I want your life for the life of my son. I want you to spend all your love because I've spent all mine. It's a life for a life. He wants you to say, Lord, here are my hands. They're too long, too long they have dipped in the mire. Here are my feet, too long it has walked in the, my own way. Here are my lips, too long they have dealt with lies and cursing. I'm not, I don't have much to offer, but I am offering the whole lump of clay. Let no man say, it isn't all. Let every man say, it isn't much. Would you bow with me? Father, into thy hands we commit this moment, this invitation. And we pray for your perfect and beautiful will to be done in our life. For those of us, Father, who tarry 
at the door and halt in the valley of decision. I pray that you'll give us courage and strength to respond positively and publicly to your call and invitation. Grant us, Father, to take the cross just as you did and walk right down Main Street with it to declare our faith in the living Christ who died at Calvary and rose from the garden tomb. Help us to believe, Father, and to know that you want all of us because you've given all to us. And I pray that that exchange will be complete now in this last moment we're together here. In Jesus' name. Now our invitations are twofold or three. The first invitation is for the unsaved, those people who have never expressed faith in Christ, who have never received the gift of salvation, who have never committed their life to Jesus in faith. Salvation comes when we trust Jesus and Jesus only. When we transfer our trust from where it might have been to where He is, to Him. I'll ask you to come by faith this morning, trusting Jesus Christ is your Savior. Let Him begin to prepare a place for you. The second invitation is for Christian people. Maybe God is leading you to a new depth of commitment you'd like to make today publicly or to confess sin publicly or to transfer your membership, to place your life in a church here or to say, I want to give my life to God in Christian vocation, Christian service and ministry as a vocation. These invitations we offer to you today because the Lord offers them to us all. My prayer is that you'll just have the courage to respond while we stand and our choir sings.